0: Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio. Committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle. Doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes. From teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at EverythingItTakes.org. A few months ago, while still tangled up in a lingering viral pandemic that hasn't really let us go, TV viewers the world over were introduced to a chilling idea. And uh, Dr. Newman, you're also an epidemiologist. I presume the prospect of a viral pandemic keeps you up at night as well? No. Uh, But uh, just to be clear, you you do think microorganisms pose a threat? Oh, in the most dire terms. Bacteria. No. Not bacteria. Not viruses, so fungus. Oh, (laughs) fungus. True, fungi cannot survive if its host's internal temperature is over 94 degrees. And currently there are no reasons for fungi to evolve to be able to withstand higher temperatures. But what if that were to change? What if, for instance, the world were to get slightly warmer? Well, now
1: there is reason to evolve.
0: The Last of Us TV show, like the iconic video game that inspired it, has brought to agonizing life, a post-apocalyptic world ravaged by a global warming-induced pandemic in which fungi, in this case cordyceps, take over the bodies and brains of the infected, compelling them to kill in an effort to replicate. And then... Just a week after the season one finale aired, the Centers for Disease Control sent out a disconcerting tweet. It said Candida auris, a deadly fungus, saw a steady increase in U.S. healthcare facilities in 2020-21. Now, can Candida auris turn us into murderous zombies? No but it has killed between 30 to 60% of those it has infected. Is it likely to cause a last-of-a-style pandemic? No, but infections in American hospitals are up 95%. The threat posed by this fungus is real. The CDC calls it a serious global health threat. So, what do we need to know? From Texas Public Radio, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. On the edge of a college campus, on the edge of the city of San Antonio, is a nice, but not a script, nice building. To
1: nice to meet you. Hi, <laughs> Ari. Nice to meet you. <laughs> hi, yeah. hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the best-kept
1: secret in UTSA.
0: (laughs) That houses the South Texas Center for Emerging Infectious Diseases at the University of Texas, San Antonio.
1: Well, uh, STCID is is a group that grew kind of organically here at UTSA because uh, there was a group of us whose main interests are in microbiology and immunology. Mm -hmm. And... Soon after I arrived here, I would say like two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, we kind of got together uh, and assembled this, this group, and um, we cover kind of the whole gamut of um, infectious diseases, really. So we cover bacterial. Infections, uh, fungal infections, uh, uh, parasitic infections, and
0: Dr. Jose Lopez Ribot is a professor of microbiology and the associate director of the SDC EID. All the stuff that you do here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get interested? When did you know you were interested?
1: How did I know that I was interested in yeah, microbiology? Yeah, 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 Normally, you start when you're a little kid, really, with <laughs> microscopes or something like that. Did I remember you? looking, yeah, looking, I remember I had like a toy microscope and I remember looking for mm. pots of water and then looking at, at things that I'd move around and things like, things along those lines. Of
0: course, and yeah, Lopez Ribet's real microbiological passion is fungi.
1: Everything about fungi is interesting. Uh, you know, from their wonderful role in their environment, uh, they, they play a huge ecological role. I mean, literally, they are the major decomposers of organic matter. Literally, if it wasn't for fungi, we probably would, we, life on Earth wouldn't be possible because, you know, organic matter will not decompose. We'll be literally walking on cadavers. <laughs> Uh, So, first of all, that's fascinating. I mean, the the fact that we have somehow domesticated some of these fungi for us to make wonderful things like beer and wine and yogurt and bread, uh, those are always used yeast. And when you think about it, those are the staple of food through the millennia.
0: Yes, fungi are our friends. We've evolved alongside them. They live on us, on our skin. They live in us, in our microbiome. According to the National Institutes of Health, we inhale between 1,000 and 10 billion spores every day. But sometimes things get out of balance. Some of you may have experienced an overgrowth of Candida albicans after you've taken a course of antibacterial antibiotics. The medicine kills off some of the bacteria that keeps the yeast in check, and suddenly you're miserable with an infection and you're at the drugstore begging for a tube of monostat. You can also get candidiasis in your mouth. It's called thrush and is characterized by white patches and discomfort. I've had it. It's not fun. But those
1: are what we consider the superficial and non-life-threatening infections. It just happened that these. Candida uh, organisms can also cause much more serious infections that we call invasive and can affect every single organ
0: in your body. If a person's immune system is compromised, or if they're in the hospital because they've had surgery or they're in the ICU on a ventilator or are otherwise medically compromised, these usually harmless little bugs might seize the opportunity they're opportunistic to invade your system, get into your blood and target your organs.
1: And in this type of um, patients, uh, fungal infections are very serious. The mortality rates are very, very high. And that is because, you know, we almost have like the perfect storm. Difficult to diagnose, difficult to treat, and development of, of resistance.
0: There are hundreds of different species of candida, and even the usually friendly ones like candida albicans can cause this type of trouble. Still, there are three types of antifungal antibiotics, and while the development of antimicrobial resistance is a growing concern, they usually work pretty well against albicans. But in 2009, a new member of the candida family emerged out of nowhere. Candida auris. Candida
1: auris is something rather unique in our field of of medical mycology. Because really, we observe the first infection with this organism come kind of out of the blue in 2009, in a patient in Asia. And and really, this uh, organism that before we have never heard about, it has never been reported as a causative agent of infection, spread throughout the world in a matter of five to 10
0: years. By 2022, this new pathogen was in 30 countries. The first U.S. case was documented in 2016, and now it's been found in 28 states and the District of Columbia. And the number of new cases spiked in 2020 and 2021, causing alarm at the CDC.
1: What makes Candida auris such a serious concern is that, first of all, very difficult to diagnose. Second of all, it's highly resistant because I was telling you that we have basically three different classes of antifungals. Most of the Candida auris isolates are resistant to two of these antifungals already. And then we are seeing the emergence of these strains that we call panfungal resistance that are resistant to all three classes of antifungals.
0: López Ribat says a pan-resistant, invasive Candida auris infection, an infection for which you have no treatment options, can be a death sentence for a vulnerable person. And there have been outbreaks of C. auris among vulnerable people in healthcare settings across the country. New data compiled by a CDC research team found that in 2021, cases reported by healthcare facilities increased by 95%. One reason for that, the viral pandemic of COVID-19. Crowded hospitals with staffing shortages, as well as shortages in equipment and PPE. These are all big problems when this fungus enters the building, because it spreads pretty easily. With Candida auris, it contaminates
1: not only the skin of the patients, but it contaminates medical devices, the beds, the linens. And it makes it highly transmissible. So, so a nurse or a doctor attending one patient that happens to be contaminated with Candida auris and then will go to a treat another patient may spread the infection within the unit. So you have to really implement very serious um, epidemiological
0: controls. But that's another concern about this particular fungus. It's resistant to disinfectants. It is in, it,
1: highly resistant to disinfectants too. <laughs> yes, you are absolutely right. So, a lot of the disinfectants, the, the common disinfectants that we use in our hospitals currently, the a candidate is resistant to them.
0: Well, that's terrifying.
1: Okay, uh, terrifying is a big word. <laughs> and I will be, and uh, yes. Uh, it is not an organism that is going to cause, like, a huge pandemic, like that, the one that we've seen with, with COVID-19
0: or anything like that. Or cordyceps in The Last of Us. Because it's very,
1: we observe this very particularly in certain, in certain clinical settings. Outside the clinical settings, is probably not going to be such a huge problem. But obviously, when it affects so many patients in clinical settings, it's a, it's a major concern.
0: And watching Candida auris emerge in 2009, spread around the world, and develop resistance to our existing medications for a microbiologist is concerning. Why is this happening?
1: To tell you the truth, the theory that is gaining traction is, um, and is happening not only with Candida auris, but with other uh, fungal infections, the theory that is gaining traction is because of global warming. And that is uh, obviously a major concern. Not much that we can do about that <laughs> right now if we don't get our act together and, and think seriously about that.
0: That sounds familiar, like something a fictional TV epidemiologist said a few minutes ago about evolution.
1: We know that fungal organisms, in order to infect us humans, they have to have the capability to grow at 37 degrees. And that's what has stopped a lot of these fungi actually from infecting us. But it may be that because of global warming, they are getting better adapted to, to the higher temperatures that eventually may mean that they are better adapted to infect us.
0: So if fungi are going to adapt to better infect us and to evade our treatments and our disinfectants, we'd better develop some new tools. Some may say we need to start thinking big, but in Dr. Lopez Ribot's lab, they're thinking
1: small. So nanoparticles, uh, particular, in particular silver nanoparticles.
0: More on that when Petri Dish continues. Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio, committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle, doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes, from teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at everythingittakes.org. Welcome back to Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petri.
1: So
0: this
1: is this is my lab. Okay? This is my lab.
0: Uh... Dr. Jose Lopez Ribat is a professor of microbiology at UTSA and the associate director of the South Texas Center for Emerging Infectious Diseases and this is his lab. This is a a
1: fungal lab. This is just basically, strictly speaking, a fungal lab. The only thing, pretty much, that we do here is study fungi, and you're not gonna see a lot of uh, highly specific, sophisticated equipment here, because here we use kind of the, for the day-to-day growth, incubation. We have the incubators, we have a robotic machine here that uh, you can actually automate for a lot of the, by and liquid handling, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. so make things uh, much faster.
0: Uh, What's this? This is this is Just water? <laughs> just water. <laughs> in there. They want to know everything there is to know about Candida auris and its development of resistance.
1: Resistance is pretty much the way that a microorganism has to defend against an attack. So because antibiotics are either trying to kill the cell or trying to inhibit growth, they are putting a high degree of what we call selective pressure. So the microorganism is going to respond to that attack. So the microorganism senses the the antibiotic treatment as an attack. If you are attacked by somebody, normally your tendency is to try to defend yourself. The way microorganisms defend themselves
0: is by developing resistance. CRS also has an unsettling resistance to disinfectants. A can of Lysol or a bucket of bleach aren't really much of a match against this particular fungus. Why? Biofilms. What's a biofilm? Very simple.
1: It's a, it's a community of cells, of microbial cells, that is attached to a surface and is normally surrounded by a matrix of polymeric material that protects the cells within the biofilm.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. A matrix of polymeric material is not very simple. So just think of it as a protective layer, a shield that encases and protects perhaps billions of fungal cells from attack.
1: So most of the cells within the biofilms are going to be increasingly resistant to antibiotics, antibacterial antibiotics, antifungal antibiotics. And the other main consequences is that those biofilm cells are also protected from our host immune system. So when you put those two factors together, you can appreciate how much more complicated is going to be to treat a biofilm infection as compared to a regular infection.
0: So, we need something that can break through the biofilm to get to the microbe, in this case, the fungal cells.
1: Just basically think about something that is going to create probably like massive po- massive pores in the cell membrane and cell wall of this microorganism. Something that actually works well for for fungi, but also against bacteria. And because of that, they have such a powerful uh, antimicrobial
0: activities. Well, we're in Lopez Ribet's lab. Turns out we're in the right place. We, right. Were,
1: we were kind of the pioneer group in the world of fungal biofilms.
0: And they've developed something that can poke holes in biofilms.
1: Nanoparticles, nanoparticles, uh, in particular silver nanoparticles.
0: Those well, in, that sounds very science fiction. Uh,
1: you are talking about something that is so small. I mean, nano nanometers in diameter. And just the when you have such something that is so small, and silver, we know that silver has been antimicrobial for, for ages, right? But when those silver nanoparticles were pretty much the only thing that will take care of, of such a biofins. We apply for a patent for, for, because we can incorporate also those nanoparticles like in clothing material or fibers. So that will be a good way that you can treat candidates in, in the environment.
0: So you're breaching biofilms with super small pieces of silver?
1: You can think of super small pieces of silver,
0: yes. (laughs) We have to be careful when we say stuff like that because people will start gobbling on megadoses of silver.
1: No, 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 you cannot, (laughs) no. This is for the treatment of probably inanimate surfaces or perhaps eventually like a skin or superficial treatment. This is not... Those mm, nanoparticles will be toxic if you take them systemically, like if you drink or you uh, inject or something else that's, like
0: that's nice. López Ribat says there might be some promise with silver nanoparticles for treatment someday, but today's not that day. So don't go buy a bottle off Amazon and start drinking it to protect yourself against fungal infections. We're not there yet.
1: What what we need to to do really is to to increase our awareness of fungal infections, invest more money in the development of new antifungals, and really, you know, work work with people, including clinicians, to increase the awareness of, of fungal infections.
0: Right now, there's nowhere near enough investment in drug development for new antifungal antibiotics, especially with COVID-19 causing many people to experience a weakening of their immune systems that may worsen with repeated infections, making more people more vulnerable.
1: Yes, absolutely. So for example, even with the first wave of pandemic, not even repeated infections, we observe increased numbers of fungal infections in COVID patients. For example, in India, huge increased rates of fungal infections in hospitalized patients with COVID. Again, uh, very resistant to to antifungal treatment and very fast-growing, and leading to very high mortality rates. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, if COVID patients with active infections or through repeated infections, eventually we demonstrate that that is leading to immunosuppression then those patients are going to be more prone to contracting fungal infections.
0: So this all sounds, again, pretty terrifying.
1: I don't think we need to be afraid. (laughs) We need to be conscientious about about this
0: and try to do the right thing. Which brings lopez Ribot back into agreement with the imaginary epidemiologist from The Last of Us. I think planet Earth
1: is a wonderful place to live in, and we need to start treating uh, it much better than what we have treated her in the last couple of hundred years, because we we are really messing up things big time.
0: Though it's doubtful we've messed things up bad enough that cordyceps are going to start turning humans into killers, a warming planet will continue to present us with daunting new threats. As far as Candida RS goes, CDC calls it an urgent antimicrobial resistance threat and says, quote, The rapid rise and geographic spread of cases emphasizes the need for continued surveillance, expanded lab capacity, quicker diagnostic tests, and adherence to proven infection prevention and control. The stuff they're working on in the lab at UTSA. Thank you to Dr. Jose Lopez-Ribat for sharing his expertise with us. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by TPR News Director Dan Katz, Jacob Rizzotti, and me. Jacob Rizzotti also composed all the music and created the sound design on this show. Petri Dish is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petri, Talk to you soon.